Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Wednesday, September 28th, 2022. I'm John Podhoritz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. With me, as always, executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Media commentary columnist and American Enterprise Institute fellow Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. And associate editor and author of The Rise of the New Puritans, Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. Okay, we've been off for days because of uh, Rosh Hashanah. I hope uh, I hope everybody had a uh, a sweet New Year. Uh, enjoyed your apples and your honey. I myself had a really delicious honey crisp apple, and I counted that as the honey because I loathe honey. So the honey crisp in the honey crisp apple counted for the honey that you were supposed to dip your apple in. Um, so much to talk about. From Iran to Russia to Florida to uh, student loan. Um, Christine, what's the term we want to use now? Debt transfer. Debt transfer. Thank you. <laughs> it's not catching on, but I, I will continue Thank you. to insist I, on using it. I want to start briefly with debt transfer and then move on to the, and, and of course, Russia, Russia, Ukraine, uh, pipelines. I mean, it's just it, so much is going on, but I want to quickly Italy start too. with. Italy too. Okay, so so much Britain, Britain and its uh Britain and its uh internal fight over tax policy. Okay. Uh very very just quickly to the debt transfer thing. So the bill has now been officially the the proposal, the it's not a bill because if it were a bill it wouldn't pass. It's a bill, it's a proposal, an executive action that is almost certainly unconstitutional and is now being challenged by the Pacific Legal Foundation, which claims it has standing because every person in America has standing to object to an unconstitutional executive order that uh, does harm. Um, but their plaintiff also has student loans, which he says will <clears throat> yeah, the right. forgiveness that's, of that's which the will standing is is his taxes are going to yeah, go right. up. Okay, sorry, thank you very much. So anyway, so there's now going to be a lawsuit. Pacific Legal Foundation, which is a very effective organization, is it's going to be fun. And uh, scored at uh, over four hundred billion dollars in cost. Now, here's what here's the thought experiment I want to bring to you. Biden says, by executive action, I am going to uh, retire four hundred billion dollars in debt of a certain group of Americans who have done a certain thing. Okay. Now, here's the thought experiment. Biden tomorrow, or in in place of this, Biden got up and said, by executive order. I am going to do a broad-based $400 billion tax cut for all Americans up to $250,000 in income uh, or up to the first $250,000 in income. So everybody gets a tax cut. It's $400 billion. Okay. Could any Democrat do that? Would any Democrat do it? And could any Democrat do it? A ta- announcing it as a tax cut, broad-based for everyone. I think the answer is obvious that no Democrat would do that. Tax cuts are bad in the eyes of Democratic politicians. Tax cutting, broad-based tax cutting is bad, not good. But this, which is a giveaway to a certain class of American who has to have done a certain thing that the purpose of which is to keep them or place them in the middle or upper middle classes. That's okay politically? I thought these were the progressives. Progressives, progressive policy from the outset of progressive policy was designed to provide a preferential option to the poor, as I understood it. That's why we call a tax policy that that taxes people at a higher rate the more they make as opposed to a lower rate and the less they make. That's why we call that a progressive tax structure. That's the theory, but progressivism is also, as it was understood historically, sin taxes. It's taxes on behaviors that you want to discourage, subsidization of economically unviable industries. So it's not just, um, you know, let's give the poor a leg up. It's distorting the economy to achieve social ends, most of which fall, the burdens of which fall disproportionately on those with lower incomes. But also this is, 
part of this is framed on among liberals as let's give the poor leg up. If not the poor, then you know the 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 young uh, just striking out. Let's 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 give them a shot to 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 move up. Right. So you're subsidy you're subsidizing what they want more of, which are which is more degrees, higher more higher education. That's progressivism too. Remember, it's not even more degrees because the number of people who enroll in college and take loans and the number of people who graduate from college with a degree, these are two radically different populations. Well, and that and and to jump in for just a second, that's actually it's an interesting thing. I think they're what they are sort of acknowledging they're not saying the quiet part out loud. They're just acknowledging it with their behavior here with regard to student loan uh, debt transfer is that. They they know the the Democratic Party is now an elite college educated party. It's no longer a working class party, or it's definitely moving in that direction. Those are their solid voters. Kamala Harris, the, uh, a few weeks ago, was out there encouraging students at a college to make sure that they you know lobbied for this loan forgiveness and to apply for it. And she said, "You don't even have to have graduated. You're still el- eligible. It's like here's the big free pot of money. Come get it, even if it doesn't actually grant you the degree that will help you with lifetime earnings." So there's a sense of which it's like, just come get this free for all. It's good for us politically. And it's 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 obvious that for them, they see the future of their party among the college educated um, more so than they do among a lot of their old white working class voter base. That's what's weird, though, is that both parties have bought into this myth that the working class votes solidly Republican. They do not. No, they're up for grabs, actually, more and more. Joe Biden won a lot more working class, white working class voters in 2020 than he won in uh, 20. I'm sorry, than than Hillary Clinton won in 2016. and. That was that was a concerted effort. The Biden campaign did a lot of work to try to win back working class voters. And I think most working class voters of all races still vote Democratic. So. I think what we have here, however. Is a very interesting example of really classic patronage politics of a very unusual brand for a national politician. Like we understand you run for mayor, right? You run for mayor, you win in these 32 precincts in your city. And when those precincts deliver for you, you deliver for them. There's a, you know, there's a city building that needs to be constructed. You put it there. There's, you know, it's the first place you plow when the snow falls. Like that is classic down to the ground, you know, street level politics. Here we have a class of people, according to 2020 polling, that went 60-40, right? The college educated went 60-40 for the Democrats. And they are paying them back. This is patronage politics. They are serving this class of people that gave them the disproportionate scale of the vote that made it possible for him to win by 7 million votes nationally. And for the first time, I mean, I cannot think of an analogy. People often talk about how, you know, Republicans help reward their fat cat friends, right? Or business, or they do this with business or that with business, or they sneak some provision into a, somebody sneaks some provision into a bill that disproportionately helps a specific industry or a banking, some kind of a, um, you know, a derivative, a derivative method that bankers have come up with or something like that is some built into some continuing resolution or tax law and then it sort of changes everything and it's a reward that's been given to somebody no one really knows where it comes from this is 50 60 million people who are getting something from the government on the backs of the 200 of the 300 or 270 million people who are not getting it and they're going to get it this is amazing like i'm sorry i you know what when the more you think about it the more astonishing it is you can understand how you could subsidize certain types of things in the form of tax credits right i mean it's like okay so it's really important that we need more scientists so if you do x y or z when you go to college and then you are willing to give four years to the national institutes of health 
there's a system where uh, you get it some kind of a tax break, whatever. That's like that's that's where you get the classic use of the tax code or something like that to create a favorable outcome that politicians think the country needs together. Saying by dint of the fact that you enrolled in a college and you took on this debt, we are now going to we are now going to throw this debt out for you. I don't know that there's a precedent. I can't. I can't really think of a precedent, and that's why the minute that it was announced, my presumption was that this would never ultimately happen because not only was it like blatantly unconstitutional to essentially spend money this way, even though it's not spending per se, but for a president to do this without any legislative action, uh, you know, that 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 creates it that he is supposed to administer, but it just. Break, dissolves a social contract between the citizenry and the government. It's like if you're not part of this class of people that wants to go to college, you're just not getting the juice here. But and, John, yeah, go ahead. What, what what you touched on briefly, um, the idea that conservatives, well, not the idea, the the, the reality of conservative uh, corporate tax cuts, things like that. That is viewed by the left as the same thing, but it's worse in their eyes because you're giving those breaks to uh, a rich constituency. Okay, so tax cuts have a, there's a logic to tax cuts that you can accept or reject, right? The logic is the government, the government's proper rate of taxation is zero. In other words, like all things being equal, you should keep all your money. And it is an unfortunate necessity that the government has to do things that we have to do collectively, provide for the common defense, you know, and then all this other stuff that we've added since to the common defense, you know, watching the environment, checking the health of food, I don't, you know, whatever, whatever it is that the, that the government does that costs money, and then it has to take it from the taxpayers. But taking it from the taxpayers is a necessary evil. It's not a. It's not, in 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 theory, it's not a wonderful good. You should be able to keep one hundred percent of your money. That is not obviously what progressives think. They think that the proper tax rate is a hundred percent, and that the money that you get from your private labors, or that you inherited, or whatever, is kind of a gift from the government. It lets you have this stuff that's left over when it takes everything that it needs to run things. These are the two perspectives on. So a tax cut in the conservative or, you know, non progressive view is simply a way of letting you keep more of the money that is rightfully yours, that the government only takes from you as a necessity because it needs stuff to do things that are supposed to help you as well. Okay. That's the logic behind the tax cut. We have these fights about it. You know, government is the things that we do together, Obama said. And so, you know, taxes are good, not bad, whatever. Okay. Or, or again, not that taxes are bad, but that they are a necessary, as I say, like a necessary evil or sort of a necessary inconvenience or hindrance or hardship uh, in order to have the good working order of the country. Right. This is, again, there's no structure. There's no defensible logical structure to what's happening here. That you give a certain class of people who are, by dint of the fact that they've done this, supposedly, hopefully, in better economic shape than the people who don't do it. Right? They're more trained. They have this. They have that. They have college. If they get to, to get a college degree, they're immediately in the middle to upper middle classes. They will make more money over time. They will have more benefits over time. They will have and all kinds of things. Go ahead. Christine. I was just going to add, and it's not as if th this this there's a group of people with college debt who don't have other alternatives already available to them for loan forgiveness. So the, the federal government has a public service loan forgiveness program. So if you do certain kinds of work, you know, for government, um, for nonprofits, you're eligible for forms of loan uh, of debt forgiveness that would allow you to work work your debt off in a sense by working at places that have a where you might be receiving a lower salary or income 
but where you're doing work that the federal government has deemed worthy. And that so it's not as if someone graduating with their master's degree in interpretive feminist dance doesn't have options to get rid of that debt besides having it just wiped out. So I, I feel like they're acting as if this is the the only hope for people who've um, willingly taken on lots of debt, lots of graduate student debt, too, I might add. This is a lot of people who are going on to graduate work and then accruing debt after they already have a bachelor's degree. So it's just it that's not being talked about at all. And when they are talking about this, I've noticed a, a tendency lately, particularly among the vice president and um, some uh, Democratic spokespeople to talk about this as an equity issue, a racial issue. It's like, well, many people who go to our historically black colleges graduate with more debt than if they don't. And so they're, they're trying to find angles that will make it palatable to the largest number of people, or at least to shut them up if they try to protest about it. They can say, well, that's racist because this is also something that's going to help lift, you know, non-white people out of debt. Um, anyway, I just think we're in a, we're in an interesting area here that properly handled not for 2022 but for 2024 is a colossal political issue that might outweigh the benefit politically of having done it in the first place just to say this party and these people and this guy who was running for election named joe biden not only doesn't he care about you but he is sticking you with the bill for these feminist interpretive dance graduate students while you are you know f using a for you know while, while you were at home depot on the forklift uh it's a war on the middle class they wait, can, wait, they, wait, can wait. they can use a slogan like that it is yeah. it's kind of why a isn't this an issue in 2022 well it the can speaker be, of the but... house nancy pelosi yeah. very flatly said this was unconstitutional right it could said, be in fact and uh, Mark in the Deason, right districts. Mark Deason oh, you know what? We should AIA get to had this. a really good uh, point. Just want to brief, briefly yeah, bring Go this ahead. bring this to the table that he made the point and noted that <clears throat> the legal basis for this, insofar as there is one, and there really isn't, is that it's uh, the Heroes Act, based on the Heroes Act, 2003 Act made permanent in 2007, supposed to provide you know aid to the to members of the services, and that's what justifies this. And he says that this is quite flatly, and I think it's a pretty brilliant observation that this is essentially an act of stolen valor. Uh, these are pretty easy issues for any competent Republican to navigate. I mean, it doesn't own anybody, doesn't own a news cycle. It won't won't land you on uh, Fox News primetime. But it seems a pretty easy thing to to navigate on the stump and and generate some traction, at least among base voters. OK, first of all, I think it is a, a thing that will get you on Fox primetime because I think it's very uh, understandable. But second of all, this gets to a larger issue that I wasn't even going to bring up, but so, the, you know, Kevin McCarthy, <clears throat> you know, the Republicans in the House <clears throat> have issued whatever this version is of the contract with America. There's just a lot of platitudes. And Mitch McConnell has said something about how, you know, whatever. Anyway, there was a was listening to the National Review Editors podcast and they're annoyed at the Republicans for not having sort of national issues that they're running on and having a unified message and that this is like. Uh, giving away stuff at the store and we'll see whether or not that's a proper way to look at what happened in 2022 from the perspective of what the electoral results are but i'm not sure that i agree that the party needs a unified issue to run on uh the republican party by november the districts where a message like they're giving wealthy people you know they're forgiving their debt and you're still paying your home loan uh this is exactly what republicans an, need to do okay they don't wait, have to be for anything they just have let to me, be against what this is whatever right, it is let me, but let me my point is that there are districts in which that will be an incredibly useful message and there are other districts where it probably wouldn't be that useful a message so use it where it is use it where it's appropriate uh don't use it where it's not that, right, you're not going to beat abigail I mean. spanberger by saying you know, I'm, I'm, we're going we're to reverse the debt loan, the the debt transference thing for everybody in Northern Virginia, who all of whom are degree holders. No, right. I mean, my point is like there are there are in a in a in a proper midterm environment, there is an overarching issue. There are two over you know what which is the president's party and how the president is doing, and then there are a million local things that push buttons. For example, okay. Uh, there are a couple of places in which politicians are doing better than you might think that they would be. 
one of them, I don't think he can win. I don't really think there's a realistic possibility that he will win. But Lee Zeldin, the Republican candidate for governor in New York, and is running against Kathy Hochul. And what is his issue? Crime. Crime is his issue. Places where crime is high, places where crime is bad. Tiffany Smiley, if Tiffany, again, same thing, no evidence that this is happening. But if Tiffany Smiley in Washington pulls out, you know, a surprise win against Patty Murray, it will be because of crime. Places where crime has risen to the forefront, Republicans are spending enormous amounts of money on crime, right? But it's not, a ne- oddly enough, even though crime numbers are going up, it's not precisely a national issue because there are places where it just does, isn't bubbling up in the same way that inflation is or that, you know, whatever. So that's all, all I'm saying is I think this is actually a proper atmosphere for having you know, local issue, you know, test your issues out in your districts and and push them as you're running um, because you have a national atmosphere that is d- dominated by Biden and his choices and the Democrats and doing things. And then the question is, which of the 25 different things in the, that list of things that people are worried about, inflation, gas prices, uh, you know, uh, student debt, whatever, which of those issues resonates with the voters in your state or in, you know, for example, like Arizona, I don't think they're going to care that much about the student loan issue. It's a very, it's an old state. Uh, you know, population is older than the average. But, you know, anyway, I don't know. I'm just saying. And as I just say, I'm going to pull back and talk to you about our first advertiser today, our good friends at Bowen Branch. Bowen Branch uses the best 100% organic cotton threads on earth for a superior softness and better night's sleep. Thread count is a myth, my friends. You go to stores, they say, oh, these sheets have ugh, thread count. It doesn't matter how many threads your sheets have. If they're not the best threads possible, Bolin Branch has the best threads possible, and the sheets that are made up of those threads aren't just buttery, breathable, and impossibly soft to start. They get softer with every wash. Noah. Remember, I told you last week when you said you think you need new sheets, maybe you don't need new sheets because they're just getting softer, those Bowen brand sheets, each time you wash them. I only need another pair of another set, rather, of Bowen brand sheets because they're the only sheets I use. And once you want to wash them, that don't have any sheets. So it'd be nice to have a second set of Bowen brand sheets that I could use when the other set of Bowen brand sheets are in the laundry. Well, I have good news for you. Because you you right now, not for you, but for the people who are listening, your first set of sheets, you get 15% off when you use promo code commentary at bowlandbranch.com for those sheets with threads so luxurious they're beloved by three U.S. presidents, 100% free from toxins, meaning no pesticides, formaldehyde, or other harsh chemicals, nine neutral colors in all sizes from twin up to California King. And they fit the deepest of mattresses and are labeled with top and bottom tags. So making your bed is easier than ever. And best of all, a 30 night risk-free trial from Bowling Branch with three shipping and returns on all orders. So that's B-O-L-L-A-N-D-B-R-A-N-C-H.com for 15% off your first set of sheets. Use promo code commentary at bowlandbranch.com. And Noah, you were just telling me that you spent the weekend doing yard work. You want to make that beautiful house of yours beautiful and your lawn beautiful and the surroundings beautiful. And that's why I want to talk to you guys about fastgrowingtrees.com, whose experts curate thousands of plants so you can find the perfect fit for your specific climate location and needs you don't have to drive around to nurseries and big gardening centers fast growing trees makes it easy to order online your plants are shipped to you in one to two days whether you're looking to add some privacy shade or natural beauty to your yard fast growing trees has in-house experts ready to help you make the right selection with growing and care advice available 24 7 noah do you think that looking at the state of battle uh, on your lawn and in your uh, backyard and everything, that fastgrowingtrees.com is something you need to look at? My fast-growing trees are some of the only things that look nice on the yard when it comes to this time of year, and everything else needs a whole lot of work. We got a bunch of arborvitas, which are big, uh, fast-growing pine trees, big, you know, cover cover your area, and they're growing. They grew about a half a foot, I think, over the course of this year. But the best thing that I got from 
fast growing trees are two Meyer lemon trees. Now the trees self-fertilize, but they say you get a lot more fruit if you get two of them. So we got two of them. They weren't supposed to blossom this year, but they did. And I've got like maybe 30 Meyer lemons coming of age on those trees in the space of a single season. That is going to make some delicious lemon meringue pie. Even if you've never had a green thumb, I don't know, Noah, if you think you've had a green thumb or not, but not really. fast, okay, well, fast growing trees obviously not only makes you feel like you do, but it kind of gives you a green thumb, just like over 1 million happy fast growing trees customers across the country. Plus, with their 30 day alive and thrive guarantee, you can trust everything will be healthy for years to come. So go to fastgrowingtrees.com slash commentary, and you'll get 15% off your entire order now through October 15th. Get 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com slash commentary. That's fastgrowingtrees.com slash commentary. Okay, so, so much going on. Uh, 80 name cities. The, the place in the, right, the place or name the city that you want to go to. You want to go to Sarasota. You want to go to Tehran. You want to go to London. You want to go to okay. Washington. Okay, let's go to Tehran. So let's do this quickly. So, uh, you know, we still have a circumstance in which we 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 have almost never seen, you know, uh, a totalitarian, certainly a religious totalitarian um, autarky, you know, overthrown by popular revolt. But things are going on in Iran that we've never seen before. 2009, we saw the 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 um, protests and revolution against the rigged election result um, that installed Ahmed uh, installed Ahmadinejad or re-elected Ahmadinejad and but that was mostly or almost entirely in Tehran in the capital among uh, the educated this we have 80 cities in Iran that apparently have erupted in forms of protest uh, after the disgusting and horrible uh, murder of this young woman for the crime of improperly wearing her head uh, her head covering um and uh you know one is loath to feel optimistic that there will be a massive geopolitical change underway in one of the world's worst if not the world's worst country uh but you still have to, your jaw has to drop at what's going on abe yeah my jaw um is dropped is in a is in a permanent state of uh, uh, hanging. But you know, uh, like you say, I I, I don't want to get too enthusiastic because we, we've actually seen waves of this even since two thousand nine. I mean, there there have been um, other other pretty wide widespread uh, uh, protests um, in the country. This does feel different. It does seem different. Um, of course, uh, there, there, there has not been nearly uh, enough voiced support from feminists over here uh, or uh, people on the left generally uh, in, in the West. I mean, because we should say that so much of this has to do with uh, women at great risk to their lives, Iranian women. And by the way, the, the regime has now killed upward of 75 uh, uh, protests. That's all we know. I mean, there's more, I'm sure, upward of 75 protesters um, over there. But uh, women uh, getting out in the street, um, tearing off their 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 hijabs and, and whatnot. Um, this is a this is a this is a tremendous. Um, daring, uh, widespread, brave act, act of act of bravery. Uh, one thing I noticed was that uh, the Biden administration kind of threw uh, Obama under the bus a little bit uh, over the weekend. Uh, the, 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 I, I don't remember who it was, but a White House spokesman was asked about um, the difference in how Biden is approaching this moment to how uh, Barack Obama approached the, the rigged uh, re-election of Ahmadinejad in, in 2009 when Obama did ver precious little um, in response to it, barely, barely acknowledged the, the injustice altogether. Um, and, and the response was, well, you know, the thinking in, back then in the Obama administration was that if uh, America lends its support to these movements, it harms these movements. But we've since learned that that is not true. Um, 
Well, I, I'm, I, I'd like to see the, the, the U.S. lend a, a whole lot more support here, um, uh, namely in, in, in ending its, its pursuing of, a, of a getting back into the JCPOA uh, nuclear deal. I'll tell you why it feels a little different to me. It's, it's like the Green Revolution of 2009 insofar as this is about liberty. The previous episodes of violence that we've seen over the last, I don't know, more than a decade now were really about economic issues, the price of eggs, the price of gas. Um, this is about a core freedom. And there's an X factor here because apparently the Ayatollah Khomeini is very sick um, to the point where he's not been seen in public. He's not taking regular meetings that he's supposed to have and maybe on his deathbed. Um, I don't know what that would mean for the regime, but it, it certainly wouldn't do anything to quell these protests and might give uh, those who are seeking genuine liberty and freedoms, liberalization, uh, a reason to believe that they could actually be successful this time. You know, there's also the fact that there's a uh, brandly newly minted president in Raisi and, uh, you know, this this challenge comes just, I don't know, what is it, six weeks into his into his uh, tenure or something like that. And you, you therefore have this Hobson's choice that he now faces of either being, you know, of, of, of being the person who cracks down and crushes this to the extent that that is possible. I mean, protests on this scale in this many places it's one thing to basically though it's you know the images were horrifying and everything but it's one thing to kind of do a tiananmen square or do tehran in 2009 and basically show with brute force that you better not do this because we can come in in a relatively contained place <clears throat> and destroy everything and take you to jail for the rest of your life or kill you very hard even in a country as regimented uh, as as Iran and with with tendrils of you know social control as deep as as Iran has, you know, to have simultaneous protests well, going on in eighty different places, that is. But this point, I, I think it's different. I mean, both to the economic point and the the sort of uh, uh, rise of secularism point, actually, which is a, another thing that's filling this. The reason these women are taking off the hijab is that they don't want to have to live under Islamic codes any longer. So, um, you know, it's more counter-revolutionary. If you see the Islamic revolution mm -hmm. as a revolution, this is the counter-revolution. But they, but it's combined with, you know, the, the look, the sanctions have had a serious effect on the Iranian economy, but the Iranian economy is already pretty corrupt and slow moving and, and kind of a disaster. Anyway, so you have that you have, you know, so people are, you know, poverty is rising, people are hungry. So that combined with, you know, a younger generation that really has, you know, some more access to social media, to the internet, can see what's going on around the world, can hear occasionally from people like uh, Iranians in exile, like the wonderful journalist who's now living in New York, who was, you know, whose life has been threatened, but who continues to speak out about women's rights in particular, they can see that now. And this this secularism is in some way a vote against the Islamism of the 1970s revolution. Okay, so here's here's an interesting thing. I'm now going to make a crazy transition. <clears throat> so it's insane for the Biden administration. And I, my guess is it doesn't even harbor this delusion anymore. But it is insane at this moment for us even to be talking about the JCPOA. If there is a delegation in Vienna, it should leave the talk should be ended and all of that. But even if they're going on nominally, if you combine the fact that we would be making a deal with this with this regime that is defending its behavior and killing, you know, a woman for not having her hijab on right, with the fact that a, JC, a, a renewed return to the JCPOA requires the participation of Russia uh, in securing and maintaining the nuclear Russia, with Russia, which is currently threatening its own nuclear war against the West. Yes. I mean, the whole thing is just <clears throat> demented. It's ridiculous. The whole it is offensive to any understanding of diplomacy or whatever. And it's not going to happen in any case. And so they're probably trying to make a decision about what's better for them politically just to let it dwindle out or like go on nominally with no result or to actually make a stand and pull out and say, you know, we are not dealing with you, you're evil. And, you know, we believe in regime change in your country, which, we, we, you know, which, of course, is the 
is the thing about the JCPOA is it's fundamentally an anti-regime change policy. It is, we know you're here to stay. You're probably going to develop a nuclear weapon. We're going to pay you to not develop it as long as we can we can do that. And you're probably going to develop it anyway, but we would like to have this piece of paper, whatever. So here's my point, which is they're negotiating there. It's an embarrassment. They started and they're embarrassed. Guess who else is embarrassed? Joe Manchin. How embarrassing, how embarrassing is the current set of circumstances where Joe Manchin, who yesterday said to Chuck Schumer, all right, pull the thing that I got, the thing you gave me so that I would, you and I together negotiated and we let this 370 billion to 800 billion dollar, you know, Inflation Reduction Climate Change Act pass. All he wanted was a permitting reform so that pipelines could go through West Virginia. And it's not going to happen. They don't have the votes for it. And it's been pulled. So Joe Manchin has now, I don't know, consigned himself to oblivion. I, I mean, you know, he he if he wants to run again in 2024, he's going to lose. He's got a 26% approval rate now, and he's just handed Jim Justice or whoever would run against him as a Republican, <laughs> like like it, it's you know a, a gigantic two by four to hit him upside the head with it with a you know with a gigantic expansion of the federal government precisely in the areas that are most injurious to West Virginia. So. Joe Manchin, I don't want to analogize him to Robert Malley, and but it's pretty bad. It's Shakespearean in the the turnabout here. There's a there's a justice, a cosmic justice, for Joe Manchin spending in a better part of a year being the Democratic Party's sole champion of inflation reduction, saying can't keep spending this money. It's inflating the economy. Inflation really hurts, especially my constituents. And he killed Build Back Better. Uh, he spent a year being, you know, tarred and tarnished by the left and, and, you know, talked about as the man who bestrode the Senate. You know, he was the sole person who determined what what activity the Senate engaged in. And, uh, you know, it was a principled stand until it wasn't. And then he abandoned his principles for a sweet deal that would get progressives off his back at long last while also delivering for his home state, it was a way out of this predicament that he was apparently very uncomfortable with. And it turned out to destroy him, destroyed his whole career because he abandoned what was previously, I believe, honestly, a, a principled position. Um, and he sacrificed the principle for political expediency and it killed him. For a bowl of uh, for a bowl of oats. And I, I surrendered his patrimony for a mess of pottage, I tell you, a mess of <laughs> pottage. He is the Esau. Of Schumer, Schumer is uh, Schumer's Jacob, and uh, and uh, and Mansion is Esau. Who? Here. I mean, we were talking about this on the, the uh, text thread yesterday. What legislator? Uh, what senator? Or what, what legislature? Anybody in the House, even who would trust uh, the Senate Majority Leader to have any ability to navigate his own caucus, to be able to deliver his own caucus? I, this I, this essentially neuters. The, the majority leader's ability to to make deals. I mean, the whole thing is very, very peculiar. I, I have to say it's 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 a it's a I don't think Schumer didn't want to deliver for Manchin, by the way. You do. OK, you think Schumer. No, wanted no, no. To I think he Manchin? did. No, yeah, no, no, okay. no, 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 okay. no, not at all. Okay. Not at all. So I don't know. He doesn't that want the trust. progressives to have the upper hand here. This is a progressive victory. Yeah. And now they're going to be emboldened to pursue even further victories. Right. Anyway, so, uh, you know, enjoy whatever the Shakespearean. It's not Shakespeare because it's comic. That's the one thing you don't want to, like, say it's some kind of like, you know, he's he's a titanic figure who through hubris ended up being brought down there's something it's he's more like malvolio or something i mean there's something comic he's been locked in the basement and you know been he's been he was gulled by a letter of love and then locked in the basement it's as tragic a if you're at brookings or you know something fair enough something yeah similar. or yeah or or uh what is that uh center well yeah yeah the third way or something anyway all right so now let's move to tampa city in the you know, apparently the literal 
eye well, of the storm. Now, okay. now has I, it moved? As as a Floridian, I've got a with with extremely vast knowledge of all the places that are about to get pummeled. It's actually Fort Myers, Port Charlotte, Sanibel Island, where my grandparents used to live. Like these are the areas in Florida right. that are going to get the worst of it. They're predicting Sanibel Island is complete and Captiva have evacuated already. People, although people still trying to cross the causeway there. Um, this could it's the winds are now at 155 miles per hour. It's category four. If it gets to 157, it's a category five. It will absolutely devastate some of these barrier islands in Florida. It's going to cause a lot of damage and likely some deaths. The storm surge is now predicted in that area to be 12 to 15 feet high. I mean, this is just, it's catastrophic. Further north, Tampa, St. Pete area, Tampa Bay, my old hometown, people are hunkered down. Evacuations have occurred in some of the lower lying uh, zones, but they're unlikely to get the, the worst of the hit. It looks like it's going to be further south. But I have to say, I was impressed with with Governor Ron DeSantis, who, after Joe Biden was delaying calling the governor, but was calling sort of mayors in some of these cities, they spoke. And DeSantis was like, you know, look, politics aside, we've got to work together. We need the federal government's help. We need to all be doing what we can to to get through this as 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 uh, safely as possible. So it was nice, actually, to see politics set aside in that moment, even though I think the media was desperately trying to get some sort of mano-a-mano situation in the middle of a Category 4 hurricane started between those two politicians. Well, oh, shades of, shade, okay. shades of shades of Christy Obama here. That's right. Exactly. Well, OK, so Christy, Ob- not just Christy Obama, Christy Obama, Christ, Christ Obama, Christy Obama, um, and uh, Look, not to get into, you know, like raw, ridiculous politics here, but um, this is, uh, Noah, you you yourself said it to me, like, this is the make or break moment yep. for DeSantis, how he, how he goes through this hurricane process and whether, despite whatever the, me- the media are going to be looking for every reason to say that he's mishandling it and that it's like Hurricane Katrina was for Bush or something, if he handles it well uh, and is seen to be handling it well and Floridians consider that he handled it well, not only will that mean that he will score exactly the kind of victory in November in the state election that he needs to say, I am the second coming of George W. Bush, who won 60% in his re-election after winning with a much larger, much smaller margin in his first. But it just raises his, you know, the, his standing as the uh, Trump was an incompetent and I know what I'm doing and I'm really good at this. And, I, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. There's a God is God is the judge here because is, there no politician, no politician can properly handle a category five hurricane. If it's a category five hurricane, I mean, it's hardly a a unique insight, but natural disasters tend to be clarifying events. They focus the mind um, because they're real. Uh, The the governor's war on Disney, as relevant as that felt in the moment, somehow becomes utterly inconsequential when faced with a life or death issue like this. And a good handling of a storm makes a politician a bad handling of a storm breaks a politician. I don't think Bill de Blasio ever recovered from the the snow debacle in his yep. first year in office. Um, it's a sort of thing that that clarifies whether you're a capable, competent manager, a governor in the literal sense of the word uh, versus a theatrical political figure. And we will see. Uh, Ron DeSantis has proven to me that he is very brave at taking on soft targets. He 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 has all the bravado in the world when the target is not really all that consequential when it comes to going after, you know, sacred cows on his side. Is he double vaxxed? We don't know because he won't say Um, that sort of thing strikes me as not very brave. He can prove that now in this moment that he actually has the ability to navigate a situation where the outcome is is not uh, preordained. Abe. It's very tough, though, because something that happens in these situations, and especially now considering the scrutiny under which everything DeSantis does is um, he can do everything right. And there can be a breakdown far, far beneath him 
uh, sort of in another area of, of uh, 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 disaster or crisis management as a result of some long brewing entrenched problem in, in Florida that he may or may or may not have anything to do with. And that will be rooted out by by a hostile press and uh, he will he will he will be held accountable for that in the way, say, you know, uh, George W. Bush was was sort of held accountable for for Louisiana's breakdown uh, on the state level uh, during Katrina. But remember, it's an interesting thing because Bush was held responsible for the breakdown at the federal level. We have an absolute reversal here because the governor of Louisiana, so John Bell Edwards, I'm trying to remember who it was at the at the time. Oh, Landrew, right? No, that was Senator Landrew. I, I honestly, Mary Moon Landrew. I can't remember who the governor was, but it but it was unbelievably convenient for the governor of Louisiana because the governor of Louisiana is like it's Bush's fault. Look at Bush. Here we're going to have an absolutely absolute and and oh, the press Kathleen was all Blanco. too willing. Oh, Kathleen Blanco. Now, by the way, she did she did pay. I mean, she was she was disgraced eventually, but in the but in the first weeks, both the mayor of New Orleans and the governor of Louisiana both went, it's not us, it's FEMA, and it's all Bush's fault. And the press looking to nail Bush uh, over Iran, um, yeah, Iraq, you know, basically turned on him and blamed him for him and Michael Brown, the head of FEMA for for Katrina. And that was a wildly successful hit job right here. We have the absolute opposite, which is any effort by DeSantis to blame Biden will come down like a ton of bricks on DeSantis. Like if DeSantis tries that playbook, it's going to be like, oh, oh, you did sort of like Noah saying, you know, he he knows how to hit a soft target, but it's all politics. I don't he, think he'll yeah. blame. He's not going to blame Biden, no. though. He's going to take responsibility. No, but is- it's tricky. Yeah. It's a trick. This is why we mentioned Christie and why and 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 Charlie Crist and all of that, which is like the how how he handles Biden. You know, Republicans were in Ray Christie never never recovered among Republicans from kissing Obama when Obama came to survey the wreckage of Hurricane Sandy. Like any hope that Christie had, even though he ran in 2013 thinking that he was setting himself up to be president again, and then he did, you know, he did uh, Bridgegate and all of that, and the whole thing went went totally a cropper. But but it's um, very silly, by the way. I don't know if people, listeners in other parts of the country probably don't know exactly how bad it was after Sandy. Everybody was in the dark for a week. It was freezing. We didn't have food. I remember scavenging the neighborhood yeah. for yeah. food. Uh, it was a it was a scary time. To live in this part of the world, yeah. And, and yeah, and, if, anyway, if and, the president and, of the United States right. showed up in my house, yes, I would have given him a big old right. smooch. But but I'm just saying that that there are there are interesting cross pressures on DeSantis because if he is too, I'm I'm just saying I'm talking just naked raw cynical politics. If he's too nice to Biden and says we have a really great working relationship and blah blah blah, then Trump can come after him with a two by four saying, "Oh, you love Biden. You're like Mrs. Biden." Hello, Mrs. Biden. Are you married to Biden? Are you doing cocaine with Hunter? You know, I mean, he could say anything. So so that's why it's an unbelievably tricky set of circumstances and and politically, but but very interesting. And this is why you never know what's going to happen. The idea of, you know, projecting things in a straight line from, you know, just in six months time politically is always so unbelievably stupid, just as it would be. just as we had no idea that we were going to be where we are now in relation with Russia, Ukraine and Europe. And uh, I mean, look, six was it seven months ago, uh, Germany was about to shut down all of its nuclear power plants. And now two of the three of them are going to remain running forever. I mean, they've announced they've announced that they're running them through 2024. They were shutting them down because of that stupid 16 year old moron in Sweden. And now, you know, now we're I, <laughs> go ahead. I just I just before we close out the Florida, the yeah, political sorry. at the political strat, the sort of forecasting the political 
uh, blowback from whatever happens after the hurricane, we should like just like give a shout out to all those Floridians there who are going to have to weather the storm and particularly the Sanibel Island, Fort Myers, Captiva folks. That that island is, I love that island. I spent many, 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 many happy times there as a kid. Um, it is three feet above sea level and the storm surge of 17 feet means it's going to be underwater. So <laughs> the storm people... surge is going to be really bad. Christine, you're our Florida expert. I want to ask you, I mean, <laughs> we're talking about you know category five winds. They keep saying a lot of work has been done since Andrew mm -hmm. to prevent that sort of apocalyptic event. To what degree... Are you familiar with the extent to which they've actually stormproofed the Gulf Coast? New new construction on the Gulf Coast has been it did learn the lessons of Andrew. So if you're in a building that's just, you know, 10 or 15 years old, you're probably in good shape. The problem is that it cannot deal with that level of water. Um, even a even a windproofed good, you know, up on stilts uh house is going to be decimated uh, by this level of uh wind yeah. and and water together so i think a lot of a lot of places are secure and i've talked to some people um who have condos in that area and all the the measures that they've been taken uh but it is still going to be absolutely devastating to those coastal communities uh the flooding alone is just going to going to wreak havoc i, there's, I mean there's, I, 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 go ahead there's another aspect by the way to the to the political dimension of this which is that after the dust settles after after everything happens here um there's going to be an effort to make hay over this regarding climate change right uh and and then and that's already be, happening yeah right absolutely so that's another case in which even if desantis handles the crisis uh, uh brilliantly it's like well but he's against you know, doing the kinds of things that would that would prevent the next category five and, and so on, even though, even though, by the way, it's it's been like an extraordinarily quiet hurricane season. I, I mean, yeah, but uh, the battle lines there are drawn. I don't know. <clears throat> you know, it, it, it's a default. It's a default game to say that hurricanes. You know are the result of climate change i mean it's a many things might be the results of climate change you know her it will be very hard for anything to be as bad as hurricane andrew and that was 30 years ago this week maybe uh september 92 um and you know yeah i mean hurricane andrew uh, which, you know, no referred to like decimated South Florida because the houses weren't built in, in the, in the right way. And we've seen actually hurricanes hit Florida since the revision of the building codes and stuff like that and do far less damage. But that's obviously not when we're talking here about, um, talking here about storm surges and <clears throat> water levels and stuff like that. That's not defensible. Uh, you can't defend against it if you're going to live at sea level. And the, and the and the and the waters rise you're that's that's the ball game um so you um you uh you you interrupted my effort to move on to our next topic and i think i'm we sorry should probably table it until tomorrow because we're not going to be able to give it sufficient time so tomorrow we will be talking extensively about russia ukraine germany the pipeline uh european uh, economic woes and Yay. uh what I said, yay. Yay. So we'll be, now we'll we're be, committed. We'll be back tomorrow. <laughs> Christine uh, will be off for the rest of the week and back on Monday. Uh, we'll probably figure to have somebody rather ably, but probably not fully filling her shoes here. Um, so, but until then, for Christine, Noah, and Abe, I'm John Podhoretz. Keep the candle burning.